At the end of every year, I, um, I ask the Lord to give me a word for me personally, for my family, and for my church family to sort of gather around for the year. Um, and does anybody remember the word God gave us for our church last year? Anticipation. anticipation. The word anticipate. Uh, it's weird because there are some years where it's a struggle to hear what God is saying for the year. Uh, and then there's other years where it's, it's, sort of, it's pretty easy and, and, and the word for the year becomes pretty clear to me. And this year it's been pretty clear uh, as far as what God is speaking to our church and what God uh, wants for us this year. And so I'm going to share that with you this morning. And so the word, uh, sometimes I get a word, sometimes I get a phrase, sometimes I get a verse. Um, but this year I have a word and a scripture to go along with it. So the word for our church, what God is speaking to our church for 2019 is the word together. Okay. And so that's why I wanted us to sit together this morning. And we fill up one row, so it shouldn't be hard to sit together this morning. <laughs> and so here is the verse that goes along with this word, and it's found in Ecclesiastes 4.12. And it says this, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What God is speaking to me about this year is that filling up tables is more important than filling up rows. Okay? Circles are better than lines. Okay? Uh, let's line up and, and, and receive from the man of God. Well, no. Why don't we circle up and receive it together as a church family? Filling up homes is more important than filling up auditoriums. And community is more important than a crowd. Church, we need one another. We need each other. And this year, God is calling us to be intentional about being together, okay? That is what God has put on my heart, and that's what God wants for this church. Some of us were broken in 2018 because we were trying to do things alone. We were trying to fight our battles alone. We were trying to fight the devil and his demons Alone, We were trying to overcome our struggles alone. We were trying to pick ourselves up out of the ditch that we found ourselves in alone. We were trying to heal ourselves alone. And this year, things can be different for you. This year, you can put the pieces that were broken back together and stay together if you will immerse yourself in our church community. Because the author of this verse says that this triple braided cord is not easily broken. Okay? Some of us are, have been easily broken. Some of us were easily broken in 2018 because we were trying to be lone rangers. Because we were trying to struggle by ourselves. We were trying to put ourselves together by ourselves. And we were broken over and over and over again. But that doesn't have to be your story this year. We are better together. Right. We're better together. Um, when Jesus established the church by his death and resurrection, he never intended for her to be a mob of believers who were all doing their own thing. 
That's not what Jesus intended when he established the church. Jesus intended for us to have a community of people who we were pursuing him with. Okay, if we go all the way back to the beginning when God created Adam, uh, if you'll notice, he didn't put Adam in a desert. He didn't put Adam in an island, but he placed Adam in a garden. Do you ever wonder why God chose to put Adam in a garden instead of somewhere else? He could have put Adam anywhere he wanted, but he placed Adam in the middle of a garden. you ever wonder why God did that? Well, first, a garden has potential to grow with hard work. Okay? In the same way, our relationships have potential to grow, but not without hard work. Okay? Relationships are amazing. God created us to be in relationship, but it takes hard work to develop relationships and maintain relationships. Marriage is amazing, but it is hard work. If I could just get Priscilla to do what I say and do what I want, right, everything would be good. But that's just not the case. And I know she wishes the same thing. A healthy, strong marriage is hard work. A healthy marriage doesn't just happen. You don't just kiss and say, I do, and voila, you have the the most amazing marriage ever. No. It's a decision. It's a daily decision to die to yourself. It's a daily decision to, to, to work on preferring your spouse over yourself. It's a daily decision to try to love your spouse the way that they receive love. Okay? It's not just enough to love them the way you receive love. Okay? You have to learn and you have to work towards figuring out how does that person receive love. Okay, because I may receive love by uh, hearing positive, encouraging words about myself. Right. But Priscilla might receive love by uh, by me doing things for her acts of service. And if I try to love her by giving her encouraging words, yeah, she'll appreciate it. But she won't feel the love in the in a way that she would feel it if she if she received love in that way that she truly receives Love, right? And it takes work to have a marriage like this. Maintaining friendships is hard work. Working through hurts when your friend offends you and hurts you, that is not easy. Keeping in touch with people, for some of you it might be easy, for others, keeping in touch with people, that's not easy. That's work. Making sure you call people and remember birthdays and all of those things, that's not easy to do. Um, Maintaining friendships through transition. That's never easy. Uh, like when your best friend gets married, but you're still single, right? That's not easy because you can't just at the drop of a hat spontaneously go out all night. And if it gets too late, just crash at your house, right? Because they have someone they have to go home to, yes. right? And so those transitions, maintaining relationships through these transitions, they're not easy. Uh, it's, hard to wor- it's hard work to maintain a friendship when one of your friends moves to another city because of work or because of college or something like that. It's difficult. Transitions are difficult in maintaining relationships. So why did God put Adam in a garden? Well, a garden gives life. A garden gives life. Plants are growing. Right. Fruits and vegetables grow in a garden. Uh, You can find vibrant, beautiful flowers in a garden. It's a place where animals and birds and insects can can come to and thrive. Uh, Gardens have a communal 
aspect to it, right? In the same way, as we surround ourselves with godly people who will love us for who we are, but who will also challenge us, those people will bring life to us this year, okay? If you feel dry, if you feel dead inside, you may just be surrounding yourself with the wrong people. And as you surround yourself with the right people, those people God will use to bring life to you. Why did, God bury, uh, why did God put Adam in a garden? Well, cultivating a garden was something that Adam could do with other people. Okay? God valued relationships so much that even though Adam had intimate fellowship with him, this is what God said to Adam in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 18. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Verse 17, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Let me tell you something, church. God doesn't want you tending your garden alone this year. He has people who are just right to come alongside of you and help you, okay? These people will not always look just right for you, but they'll be just right for you. And the people God is going to bring into your life might challenge you in ways that make you feel very uncomfortable, but that is exactly what you need. If you, uh, if you only have people in your circle that agree with you and that see the world just like you see the world, have your same views. They never stretch you. They never challenge you. They never make you feel uncomfortable. They never make you feel awkward. They, they, never, they never get in your face every once in a while. Then you, ha you don't have the right people in your life yeah. because the people in your life should make you better. And you can't get better if you're never challenged, if you're never stretched. If you're never moved beyond your limitations, you will never grow. So the people God is going to bring into your life, they might challenge you, but they're going to be the right people. And he has people that he is forming and fashioning to come alongside of you because he does not desire for you to do life alone. So how do we form this triple braided cord that is not easily broken that we read about earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, it will happen for us as we come together. It's going to happen for us. This triple braided cord is going to be developed and established as we are intentional about coming together, as we push our biases aside, as we push our agendas aside, as we push our prejudice aside, as we push our stereotypes aside, as we push our pride aside, as we push our convenience, our personal comfort and convenience aside. God will give us the community in which we can live in harmony as a triple braided cord that is not easily broken. That's what God wants to do this year. And so I'm going to use the word together as an acronym to, to help us see how we can develop our triple braided cord. And so I'm going to do two letters over the next four weeks. So we're going to do a four-week series on the word together.
I need you guys to come to church for the next four weeks in a row as we talk about this word together. I know, I know we have a podcast, but I want you guys here over the next four weeks. So, um, so that's what we're going to be doing. What made the early church so unstoppable? It was said about uh, the early church that they turned the world upside down. How did this ragtag group of disciples who all fled away uh, from Jesus when he got arrested, they all uh, became cowards, they all ran, they, they were all full of fear, and they had thought that everything that their rabbi had taught them the last three and a half years was hogwash because he was arrested and he was crucified and he died. How did this ragtag group of disciples in such a short span of time become so unstoppable to the point where people said of them that this little group, this little sect, they thought it was just a little sect of Judaism, that they, uh, they, they literally turned the world upside down. How did this happen? I think what made the early church so unstoppable was that they were always together. They were always together, more than their giftedness, more than you know, any of the outward things that they had going for them, more than their intellect, because a lot of them were just uh, ordinary, uneducated men. More than all of this, I think the reason that they became so unstoppable, that they became such an unstoppable force, is because they were always together. They were always together. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 43 through 47, and it says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Look at all the times where this passage of Scripture says the word together or the word shared. There's multiple times where what the, what the early church was doing, they were sharing what they had, they were sharing what they knew, and they were constantly coming together. And there was a synergy that was formed. There was something supernatural that was formed by people of like-minded hearts and, and beliefs that were coming together for a purpose. And the Bible says that when they did this, the Lord started adding to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, I've had so many people tell me, Steve, in order for your church to grow, you must have good X, Y, and Z, you know, multiple things, or you must do X, Y, and Z really, 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 really well, okay? And although these are well-meaning people trying to help, most of the time their suggestions are adding more programs or doing what you're already doing better. But my Bible tells me that the Lord added to their number, meaning the early church, daily those who were being saved because of their togetherness. Because of their togetherness, that's why the Lord added to their number daily. And what I see in this passage leads me to my first point today and uh, the first letter of our acronym. And so for the letter T of the word together, we're using the word trust. 
okay? Trust is key to building a culture that sticks together. If you don't have trust, you cannot stick together. If you, have, if you don't have trust, your culture will not be that of community and togetherness. The definition of the, world, of the word trust is a reliance on the integrity, strength, and ability of a person or confidence in a person. Are you a person that others can have confidence in? Are you a person in which your integrity can be relied upon? Okay? If we want to build a community of togetherness this year, we must be able to be trusted. We must be trustworthy people. We must have confidence that you are going to show up when you say you're going to show up. Right? We must have uh, confidence that when someone shares something personal with you, that you can keep it to yourself and you can pray for that person. This is what trust looks like. We must have confidence that you are the same person alone, privately, that you are publicly. We must be able to trust that. We must be able to count on you being the same person behind closed doors that you are in front of everybody else. And you might say to that, what I do in private is my business, my business. Well, no, actually, if you are part of a together community, what you do in private is our business because we love you and we care about you and we don't want you to go down a road that is destructive or that's going to hurt your reputation or we don't want you to go down a road that is going to devastate your family. So it is our business if you're part of a together community and family. What you do in private is our business because what you do behind closed doors affects those around you. Furthermore, if you aren't in private who you say you are, then how are you going to be a positive influence to our community? If you're fake and you're phony, you aren't going to add value to our church family because once you're found out, People won't be able to trust you. Once you're found out, you are going to hurt people. You are going to devastate people. And instead of bringing unity to our community, you're going to bring disunity to our community. Because mistrust brings disunity and trust creates unity. Trust is what we must start with in order to accomplish what God has for us this year okay first of all if you don't trust jesus with your life anyone anytime someone within the church does something that's hypocritical in your eyes you're going to quit on the church okay if you don't first of all trust because we've got to learn to separate what human fallen imperfect people do with who god is okay just because humans do things that are stupid, doesn't change who God is. Just because people do bad things doesn't take away from the fact that God is good. Just because people do things that are hateful, do things that are irresponsible, doesn't take away from the fact 
that God is love. Just because people do things that cause you to mistrust them does not take away from the fact that God is faithful and God is trustworthy. Just because people don't, uh, don't keep to their word and they break promises does, does not take away from the fact that what God says He does 100% of the time. God is not a man that he should lie. And just because man lies does not take away from the fact of who God is. And so we have got to get that. We have a whole generation of people who have left the church because they have seen hypocrisy in the church, right? And they have not been able to separate hypocrisy in the church from who God is. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. Amen? Furthermore, if you don't trust me or Pastor Priscilla, you will not be able to grab a hold of the vision of this house and further it. You see, we'll only go as far as our willingness to trust one another. This church will only go as far as our willingness to trust Jesus and trust one another. So how do you build that trust? Well, three things. Faithfulness, dependability, and consistency. That's how you develop trust in any relationship, whether that be at work, whether that be with your kids, whether that be in your marriage, whether that just be uh, uh, college roommates or friendships. Those three things, faithfulness, dependability, and consistency, that's how you build trust with one another. You know, I can't trust an inconsistent person where one day you're in a great mood and the next time you see me, you're snappy and you're in a bad mood and you can't, you're not approachable. I can't trust a person like that. If I can't trust your moods, I definitely can't trust you. I don't know if you're up this day or down the other day. You don't have control over your feelings and emotions, so you become an untrustworthy person, right? You have to be consistent in order to be trustworthy. Trust is built by doing what you say you're going to do over and over and over and over and over and over. Trust is not built by just one or two times. Trust is built by when you say you're going to do something, you do it and you do it over and over and over and over. And when you do that, trust is built in the relationship. Trust is built by being a friend, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, an employee, or a boss that can be counted on, okay? Uh, Trust is built when your character is predictable. Did you get that? Is your character predictable or is how you're going to respond when things, when pressure gets, gets high in your life, how you respond? Is it unpredictable? You don't know if you're going to respond this way or that way. You're up and down. Your your emotions are like a roller coaster. Trust is built when your character is predictable. When your children know that when something bad happens to mom and dad, they are not going to fly off the handles. You can be trusted. When someone in my congregation, when I have to bring correction or have an uncomfortable conversation with them, when I know that their response is going to be predictable, when I know they're not going to just leave the church or get offended and not talk to me for weeks, when I know that, that person can be trusted with responsibility. Your character must be predictable. 
And number two, for the O in our acronym together, I'm using the word ownership. Okay? If we're going to develop a triple-braided cord of relationships that is not easily broken, we must take ownership of our community. Um, if we desire for the Grace Place NYC to be a thriving together community, it's going to take those of us, those of you who are sitting in those seats, to take ownership of this word and run with it. In the passage I read to you in Acts chapter 2, if you'll remember, it says that the believers shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. They sold property and shared money. They shared their possessions. They opened up their homes and shared their space. Uh, they shared meals together with great joy and generosity. Um, Ticho and Michelle, their family, live in our apartment building, and they live directly underneath us and this gives us the opportunity to share things right we share wi-fi together we all are on one wi-fi network <laughs> we share food with one another uh, on christmas morning michelle came up to our apartment and and she uh, uh she brought us freshly baked cinnamon rolls uh, and so we got to have that for breakfast on Christmas Day. Uh, Priscilla will do the same thing. She'll make a meal or she'll make a dessert and she'll take down uh, some food for them. And so because of our proximity together, we have created this, this thing where we are able to share things with one another. And this idea of sharing our lives is very important in creating togetherness. You know, in that passage in Acts chapter 2, the apostles, they didn't force the believers to live like this. They didn't force communal living on the apostles, right? They didn't make the believers sell their home and share the profits with everybody. It wasn't enforced. It wasn't a law. It wasn't a rule, right? They didn't make the believers gather together for worship and to share meals together. It was not an enforced thing. There was a sense of unity among the early church because Everyone took ownership of the movement. Everybody. They weren't, it wasn't just apostles. You, it's, this is your thing. You walked with Jesus three and a half years. Uh, you, you're the one that saw him uh, uh, resurrected. I didn't see him resurrected. So this is your thing. No, there was a, there, there was a, a mutual corporate ownership of the movement together. You know, I had coffee with a pastor when I was in Kansas City over Christmas break. And this particular church, they have an Indian church uh, that is one of the arms of their, uh, one of their, the arms of their church. And so um, th they've opened up uh, a space for an Indian church to meet there. And as I was talking to this pastor, he said, man, one of the things that our church, which is much larger than the Indian church, have learned from this Indian church is that Man, they are always together. And in his own words, he said this. He said, even if it's for something stupid, they just get together. And the community and the togetherness that they have has spoken to us and how we need to do and how, what we need to incorporate into our church. And let me say this. We shouldn't only be seeing each other during church activities. You know, Sunday morning should not be the only time we see one another. If it is, we're not really living in community. We're not really living in this, this uh, idea of togetherness. Uh, let me ask you a question. 
how many people in our church have you ever had coffee with or a meal with? How many people in this church have ever seen the inside of your house or home, whatever you have? That should show you, that should reveal to you whether you're walking in community or not with your church family. Because if you're only seeing people on Sunday mornings, that's not enough. That's not sustainable. That's not a real, that you can't develop a real relationship that way. And ownership means taking initiative to act on what we know. Okay. In other words, you don't wait for someone to ask. Uh, You don't think to yourself, well, someone else is going to do it. Someone else is going to build a relationship with people in the church. Someone else is going to open up their home. Someone else is going to uh, ask this person that just came to church for the first time out to coffee or out to lunch. Ownership is taking initiative on what you already know. Ownership in the context of being together means you don't wait for someone to ask you to go to lunch. You step out and you say, hey, do you have lunch plans today? You want to go? There's a great Indian restaurant down the street. There, there's an there's a, uh, Italian restaurant a few blocks away. You want to go grab lunch? You want to go grab coffee this week? You want to go watch a movie? You don't wait for someone to say, hey, can you ask this person to go hang out? Ownership means taking initiative. Right. If I have to tell you to go ask somebody to go to a movie, uh, like, is that real community? Like, that's just me, like being like a puppet master, like, like half community like this. No, I you know, that's not real community. That's not real togetherness. God did not call me to be a puppet master. He called me to be a preacher. He called me to be a pastor. He called me to empower the people to do ministry, to have relationship with one another, to empower one another, right? Ownership means you organize outings and bring people who are part of our church together. And when people in the church get this, that's when true community will happen. And I just don't think we're there yet as a church. We're not even close but I feel like God wants to bring us to a new level this year. God wants to show us what it, you know, what the early church was like and where the power was in the early church. It, it, you know, the power, yeah, there were signs, wonders, and miracles, and I am believing for all of those things, but man, they were together. There was power in their unity and togetherness. There, there, there was power in, that, in the relationship community building that they had. And I believe that God wants to reveal to us what that looks like and, and, and the supernatural, miraculous things that can happen in our congregation in 2019 if we'll embrace this word, take initiative of this word, and walk in this word. If I could have Ticho come up. Being together, I want to reiterate this, being together cannot be regulated or forced or it's not genuine community. We can organize a bunch of things as a church, and that can help. But if the people don't grab a hold of it and get it into their hearts and get it into their spirit that this is my church, this is my church family, I need my brothers and sisters. I need to walk with my brothers and sisters. I, you know, I have Jesus, and Jesus is the most important But Jesus has given me brothers and sisters to walk with me in my life. 
and I have something that my brothers and sisters need. I have something that no one else can give my brother and sister. I have a word for them. I have a home that they can come to. or I have a space that is a judgment-free space that I can offer my brother and sister that no one else can offer them. And when we truly get this in our heart and in our spirit, I believe something is going to shift in our church. And I believe that something amazing is going to take place. And I believe that there's going to be some things in our heart that have been locked, that are going to be unlocked this year. And I believe that we're going to be able to experience some things in community, genuine things where we can be genuine and real with people where we can admit and confess to struggles and sins that are happening in our lives that we just have not been able to feel comfortable sharing with anybody. And we, and we put on this pretty face and we put on this front like everything is going well and it's going great, but really it's not. And I believe that this year that some of us are going to be set free because of the community that we have around us. True, genuine, authentic community must come from within. It must come from within. Amen? Amen. Amen.